millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Nikki Druce. I'm Cheryl Hall coming to you live from the Bermuda Triangle. And this is Killers, Colts and Queens. The podcast where we're going to talk about all the spookiest, scariest and downright weirdest corners of the world. In this episode, we're looking into possibly the worst cult you've probably never heard of. It's the Anthill Kids. <laughs> He's just got him on speed dial. I'd be like, one second, I've just got to press three for God. <laughs> oh dear, all the clap all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's beyond comprehension in my brain, it really is. Are you ready? For the first time on this podcast, I'm really not ready. <laughs> Welcome to Killers, Cults and Queens, the show where we take you on a journey into the darkest corners of the world. Today, we're looking into a cult you've probably not heard of, but let me tell you, it's one of the worst in history. But before we dive in, how have you been, Arshezi? Dearest Nikki, I am good, I am well, I am safe and sound. How are you doing? Are you feeling any better yet? I am starting to feel better. It could be the copious amounts of whiskey that I've drunk this week. (laughs) But I'm definitely getting there. It's medicine. It is. It's it's definitely medicinal. As long as you don't drive, it's fine. Doesn't matter. Yeah, there we go. It's all sorted. <laughs> yeah, just day drunk. It's not a problem at all. Yeah, I've been mainly just uh, just having as many paracetamol, ibuprofen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and um, I've managed to get through a, a whole of those um, the the squeezy bottles of honey this week, which is quite impressive. Come get your honey. But no, we're we're obviously back for another episode and. Normally, we go into these episodes very, very blind. Well, Nikki doesn't. She does a lot of work. But uh, I go into the episodes very blind, so you get your good, honest reactions out of me. But for this one, I've had to have a briefing because it's very intense, isn't it? It is quite intense. And um, 
This possibly is the worst one that I've ever covered. And um, I know that I gave you a little bit of a heads up beforehand because it is that awful. And if I think it's awful, then God forbid anyone that is coming to this with fresh eyes, not in the true crime kind of realm, because it is really, really grim. I know. So today we're heading back into the world of cults. We've looked at the Manson family. We've looked at Nexium. It's fair to say... We probably know our stuff now when it comes to cults, but we don't know cults like this. How do you feel about learning about, in my opinion, I know we've already discussed this before, um, just before the show, but it is the worst story we've covered so far. So how do you feel about that? It was inevitable. It was always going to come a time where we were going to have to delve into the, the, the worst cult of them all because... There there are terrible cults, but there are ones that are doing even worse things than the most terrible ones. And unfortunately, the day has come. And I think we've survived quite well up until this point. I mean, we've covered some quite gruesome things. We've done the Twilight Killers, Nexium, the Manson family. Like, we've covered some really gruesome, horrible topics. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure how prepared I am for this episode, but I'm going into it just fully ready to listen to you and just take it all in and try not and absorb it too much. Well, steady yourself and be prepared to be very disturbed. We're about to meet possibly the worst cult leader of all time. And this probably goes without saying, but this episode comes with a huge content warning because there's basically no stone unturned here when it comes to abuse, sexual assault, defiling a corpse, child abuse and murder. So let's take a deep breath and get into it. It's the late 1980s in Ontario, Canada. A group of people have been living at a commune in Burnt River selling baked goods working on their farm, not really bothering anyone. But rumours have been swirling around town that the group are up to no good. Recently, 17 children have been taken away from the group by social services, but no one knew why. Then, a woman who'd been living at the commune emerged into the local town. She was in a terrible state. Her body had been mutilated, She was missing an arm and fingers on her other hand. Under her clothes, she also had chunks missing from her breasts. She was traumatised and distraught, but she was determined to bring the man who did this to her to justice. But who was this man, and how did he get dozens of people to live with him on his farm with the promise of salvation before it turned into a den of religious depravity? Let's find out. I'm not sure if I like this already. (laughs) The fact that they're missing an arm, missing several fingers, and also just bits of them, like, taken. Like, what what are they doing to these people? Yeah, as I said, we're all going to have to steady ourselves today and walk very, very slowly out into this very dark, horrible wood. Remind me not to go to Ontario. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. The cult we're looking into today is one of the worst throughout history, and it's all thanks to one awful man, Rock Terrio. Rock was born on May the 16th, 1947, in Quebec, Canada. He was born into a French-Canadian family. 
hence the name, and was raised in Thetford Mines, a cute little town in south-central Quebec. Now, as a kid, Rock was super smart. His family and teachers considered him to be really intelligent and charismatic, but as a lot of charismatic and intelligent cult leaders start out, school was too much like hard work, and so he dropped out at just age 12. Shock. But Rock wasn't done learning, though. He became drawn to the Bible and spent hours poring over the Old Testament. The themes of judgment and deliverance really hit home with Rock and sparked an obsession with the idea of a coming day of reckoning, an almighty apocalypse, a war between good and evil that would eventually end the world. This is all at the age of 12. It's very advanced for 12. Yeah, you think you're already thinking about apocalypse and end of days at the age of 12. That's a little bit worrying, isn't it? Yeah, I blame the Bible. Now, as we know, the formula for building a cult leader usually starts the same way. And we've encountered this several times now, haven't we? So we probably know this off by heart. Too many times. Yeah. A fascination with religion or being given religious trauma from parents and a rough upbringing. And guess what? Rock had both of these things. His family were staunch Catholics and his father was allegedly physically and mentally abusive to the young boy and his siblings, meaning Rock learned from a young age about violence and control from his father, all under the guise of religious redemption. As he grew into a young adult, the idea of a world-ending war followed Rock, and so he converted from a Catholic, the religion he'd been raised in, to the Seventh-day Adventist church. It was a whole new lifestyle for Rock. The Adventists required you to adopt a very healthy lifestyle, cutting out all unhealthy foods, alcohol and tobacco from your diet. The reason being that your vessel should be as pure as possible and fighting fit for the impending apocalypse. I, being somebody that is drinking whiskey for breakfast yet again, <laughs> I don't want people to think that I've got a problem, but it's not going to work for me, I'm afraid. No, it's not. Like, I, I, I enjoy things too much in life. And if you have to suck all the fun out of it, just to, just to be the, the chief, the head bitch in charge, I'm sorry, it's not floating for me. Now, it's important to say here that just because Rock found inspiration in the Seventh-day Adventist church, that doesn't mean that the particular branch of the faith was nefarious. In fact, Rock soon started to make waves amongst the community, deciding that drinking was actually okay if it was just social drinking. If anything, it helped people communicate better. The rest of the church was not having this, though, as it was definitely against their doctrine and he eventually was thrown out for trying to control the rest of the group. If that isn't foreshadowing, I don't know what is. <laughs> Being kicked to the curb. <laughs> By the time Rock was in his mid-twenties, he decided his faith should be shared with everyone. He'd approach people in restaurants, bars, parks, and basically anyone minding their own business, and share with them his faith and his ideas on religion, and see if he could entice them to join the church. I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I don't like when people try and force things on people. It just doesn't sit well with me. Like, I'm all for educating, bringing people together and whatnot. But it just seems like he's like forcing people's hands going to places where he knows it's not going to be like an easy escape, you know? Like, you're sitting down in a restaurant 
Yeah, he's just decided that he's going to accost anybody in the street. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's it's an awful, awful thing to do. He's just like, he seems like one of those kind of pickup artist kind of people. He's just like preying on people that are around and about and just taking the piss, basically. Exactly. But somehow his manic street preaching worked. Everyone that knew him remarked on how charming his manner was and how he spread his message with eloquence. The thing is, and I'm sure you're ahead of me here, but Rock was a pathological liar. <laughs> he would pepper his journey of faith with lies about God's will or how he'd personally been speaking with him and he had a direct line to the big guy. <laughs> it's just got him on speed dial. I'd be like, one second, I've just got to press three for God. <laughs> it wasn't long before Rock became convinced that he was the people's saviour. In his mind, he was the only one who could keep people safe in the war between good and evil that would ultimately lead to the end of the world. This plan doesn't really work here, Rock. If the world is ending, how will you keep these people safe? Yeah, I think the the plan is flawed from the get-go because a lie will always become unstuck and their truth will always come out. And unfortunately, he's sucking these people in because people want to believe. Yeah. I think it's entirely flawed as well. He's just, you know, deciding now that he's, you know, gonna gonna save people and rescue them from the end of the world. What? How? <laughs> yeah, go on. Do tell. <laughs> At this point, Rock was still with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and whilst organizing seminars for them, he started out on his own mission, preying upon those who had come to the seminars. It was there he would talk about his mission and his calling and would try and get others to join him. Incredibly, by the mid-1970s, Rock had convinced a group of people to leave their jobs, their homes, their entire lives, to join him in his religious movement, and he promised them what seemed an idyllic living-off-the-land lifestyle. The group moved to Sainte-Marie in Quebec and formed a commune where the group would live and work together. They would be guided by their leader and listen to Rock's motivational speeches – live a stripped-back lifestyle in unity and equality, and most importantly, live a life free from sin. But the dream Rock created would soon turn into a nightmare. So by 1977, Rock had a dedicated group of followers living with him in a commune in Quebec, Canada. Things started off like most cults do, and of course the same usual techniques were used to make his followers become completely helpless and cut off from their friends and family and society as a whole. He made them cut all ties with their former lives, including the Seventh-day Adventist church. They were banned from contacting anyone outside of the commune and were told that any communication with outsiders was completely against the group's values of freedom. Behind closed doors, Rock's fear of the end of the world was growing, and he received a message from God to say that the Day of Reckoning would be sometime in February 1979. Well, here we are in 2022, still alive. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, it's almost as if that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I think that God down the end of the other line is a bit of a liar as well. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Do you think he's actually speaking to God or do you think there might be uh, might be somebody else or do you think it might be some kind of mental health problem? Do you know what? I genuinely do believe that there are, unfortunately, mental health illnesses at play here. And he may be 
having psychologic voices in his head telling him that all these things are happening and he's having these phone calls that aren't actually happening. So, yeah, of course people are going to believe it because he's so convincing because he believes it's real. Yeah, obviously we're not saying that anybody that hears voices or, you know, starts to think things like this are bad people. But I think in this case, we are definitely going to explore uh, the darker side of, of what this meant for him. Yeah. But it's a tale as old as time with the cults. It, the, the, the rule number one with a cult, cut everybody off. Yep. Because then you are, then you're in the bubble and the bubble can't be burst if you're trying to get out of it. Yep, exactly. And yeah, the more removed you are from people that might possibly tell you that it is a cult and you probably shouldn't be in it, the better in rock mm. size, I think. And the more brainwashed you are, the more you will fight and say, well, no, it's not a cult. It's not a cult at all. Whereas if you are semi-submerged, you will believe your friends saying, you need to get out of here for the greater good. It was around this time that Rock rebranded himself as Moses. (laughs) As God had chosen him to carry the message of the end of days. No. A year later, in 1978, Rock moved his community to a mountainside he called Eternal Mountain, in the very quiet and sparsely populated Saint-Jugue, where he claimed that they would all be saved from the end of the world. Rock had his group go to work at once, creating essentially a small village for them to live and work in, and this is where the sick name for his cult, the Anthill Kids, originated. Sitting on the mountain one day, Rock observed his followers busily following orders and moving materials around the commune. He thought, they look like busy little ants, and so the name was born. I don't like that he calls them the kids, though. I know, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? And also being called ants, that seems a little bit disrespectful, too. Yeah, it's sort of... Again, culty, he's putting them in their place, giving them the... The, the power play of you're an ant and I'm a human so I could stample on you any second I want if you don't abide by what I say yeah that is actually a very good analogy because I'm sure that's exactly what he probably thought of them probably now the anthill kids which at their height had between 30 to 40 members mostly female made their living by selling bread and other homemade baked goods I don't think I would want to eat any of it. It doesn't sound like it's in a very savoury environment. It's also (laughs) like, I wouldn't want ants climbing over my bread. No, not at all. (laughs) Or making it, for that matter. (laughs) But this wasn't a cute little Smurf village with baking and daisy chains. Rock's followers were living a hellish existence. Some of the things Rock put these women through are some of the worst things I've ever heard. So if you don't want to hear details of torture, gruesome violence or sexual assault, please stop listening now. Or what we will also do is add timestamps if you just want to skip ahead any of that stuff as well. Mm -hmm. If you're still with us, please reach out to your headphones or speakers and hold our hands because we're going to get through this together. And trust me, please, I need all the hands right now. (laughs) Let's join our hands in a circle, I feel. That's exactly what we need, is exactly what we need. With a blanket. Yeah, definitely. So things started small, because they always do, right? Yep. Rock was seemingly testing the waters and building his followers' tolerance for his bullshit. 
He had already banned his followers from speaking with anyone outside of the cult, and soon he barred talking altogether. The anthill kids were only allowed to speak to each other when Rock was present. Things quickly started to amp up and begin to turn nasty as Rock started to spy on his members. And if he suspected that any of them were thinking of leaving, he would pull them aside and punish them in a variety of horrific ways. God. He was known to hit them with belts or hammers. He would suspend them with ropes from the ceiling. Sometimes he would pluck out each hair on their body individually. And this is awful. He would urinate and defecate on people to let them know exactly what he thought of them. When 1979 came and went, and of course there was no war of good and evil, no second coming, and most importantly, no doomsday, Rock upped the ante. He explained to his followers that time on Earth and in God's world were not parallel, so of course there could have been some miscalculations and that he may have misinterpreted God's message. Because of course he did, of course he said that. Yeah, um, um, yeah, so uh, we're actually 20 years behind. So we've got 20 years, everybody. Um, let's keep the good work going. Ants. Yeah, it is ridiculous that he just like sort of suddenly had to twist the narrative to make it seem like he wasn't, you know. Lying. Like it had all gone horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, Rock was not caught out in his lies, and even if he was, the women of the cult still saw him as their all-powerful leader and didn't dare upset him out of fears as to what may happen to them. Now, it'll be no surprise to you that, of course, Rock slept with all of his female followers. He saw them as his concubines, and eventually, desperate to expand his kingdom of believers, he married every woman that joined the cult. Every single one of them? Every single one of them. Oh my goodness. Now, how many outbreaks of chlamydia do you think we had? (laughs) Well, there haven't been any reported, but I'm sure there was probably several. (laughs) Oh dear. The clap all the time. Yeah. Constantly. It's the circle mm. of life in these cults. Mm. Just just a vague itching. <laughs> he saw it as his religious responsibility to impregnate each and every one of them. Oh, no. And by God did he. He fathered 26 children in less than 10 years, bringing the group up to around about mm, 45-ish members, possibly more than that, including babies and children. And with the increased numbers came a need for more control. Keen to keep the members of his group as similar as possible, he made them all wear identical tunics to represent equality and their devotion to the commune. But we all know what that really means when it comes to cults. He was making them lose their own personal identity. In 1984, the Anthill Kids moved for a second time. They set up their new town in a quiet hamlet in Burnt River, Ontario. They were now in a location that was even more remote than before, and in turn that meant they were further away from society and in even more danger from their deranged leader. Rock had been drinking all this time. Remember he wanted to change the rules of the Adventist church to accept social drinking? 
Mm-hmm. Well, Rock was social drinking, but this became a problem. And before long, he was an alcoholic. Rock was a mean drunk. He was violent and petty. And his treatment of the poor members of the cult worsened to an unimaginable degree, with his paranoia running out of control. To satiate his assumptions, Rock had members spy on other people in the group to see if they were trying to leave or if they were involved in other activities he didn't allow. Everything they did required Rock's permission, and if they were found speaking to one another, sleeping with each other, or even just looking at him the wrong way without his prior blessing, he would snap. Now, this is where we start to get into the really deranged and despicable controlling abuse and violence that Rock would carry out on his group members, so it's time to steady yourself. To exact control within the gang, Rock had loyal members punish rebellious ones who were thinking about leaving by having them eat dead mice or feces. And if that didn't work, he would shoot the potential deserters in the shoulders. Which is oof. Blah, 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 blah. Horrible, because being shot in the shoulder could cause some absolute damage. Well, it could kill you, couldn't it? Yeah. And also, they're miles away from anywhere and they haven't got any medical help. So, infections and all sorts of stuff and just the pain management. And He's basically ugh. saying, if you don't abide by my rules, you will die eventually. Yeah. And that's where all the control is coming from. He's just saying to them, if you don't do what I want you to do, then I will kill you. And that's how it is. Now, I'm just a bit, I'm I'm just, I know we've still got a lot to go, but I'm just a bit angry already because I don't like control. I don't like being told this is what you need to do. And I'm not sure it's because I'm a very confident person and I take the lead in what I do that... I respect a lot of people and I respect people like, for example, that are trying to help situations like, say, for example, in the show that I'm doing, we have directors that are just trying to better our performances. So I respect their feedback and what they bring to the table. But people that are just trying to get control because it's their way or the highway, I will put my foot down because I'm like, no, because... We as humans walk the same paths and walk the same lives. No one person is better than another. So why would I abide by one person's rules when we should be listening to each other? And this is the interesting thing about this cult as well, is that he has packaged this with equality at the forefront of it. So he's telling people that if they do all of this, they'll be equals. And no, not at all. There's definitely somebody at the top of the totem pole and it's him. And he is taking advantage of that, but under the guise of it, everybody being equal, which is, Yeah. yeah, it's awful. Now cut off from the outside world and away from society, the severity of the violence escalates very quickly from here on out. He would force members to break their own legs with sledgehammers and make them sit on lit stoves to atone for their sins. He would even make his followers cut off each other's toes and fingers with wire cutters to prove their loyalty to the group, and more importantly, their allegiance to Rock. As Rock saw himself as a spiritual doctor, 
he said he was doing all of this to help rid his followers of evil. And as such, he even cut off limbs from some of his followers whenever he wanted to cleanse them. Cleanse them? Yes. So the evil apparently is in an arm. You can cut that off and then that's it. You'll be free of the sin. Um, But I'm just thinking that they're in the middle of this wood. Yep. With no medical supervision. Yep. Just this man and potentially just a very shit knife. And yep. he's just going, well, there's there's evil in your arm. Let's cut it off. Yeah, let's just get rid of it. That'll be fine. And then you'll be pure and we can start again. Until they need to lose a leg. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really horrific. Really, really horrific. Oh and God. just, you know, to think that he, he is. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase so deranged that he thinks he has the skill to be able to do this. Now, the most skilled surgeon would take hours to do something like that mm-hmm. and to do it well and, you know, with all the right equipment, whereas he's just doing a literal hack job. It's just, it's beyond comprehension in my brain, it really is. I mean, I don't even know what what you do once you've amputated something. Like... Do you try and stitch the skin together as much as possible? Like, I don't, I don't, un- this is me being very naive because I don't understand the process once the limb has been removed. But all I can imagine is that he's just left these people just with open skin and flesh and muscle. Just like, there you go, you're cleansed now. And they're just suffering. These people, they, they were suffering when they joined this cult and now it's just getting to the point where this is inhumane. Yep, yep, very, very inhumane. As the group had been so brainwashed by Rock, they didn't question any of this and his charismatic leadership made them all believe this was what they deserved. Now, all of this vile abuse is obviously horrific, but it didn't just stop with the adult members of the group. It also extended to the children. Oh, no, don't. I know. Again, timestamps, we will put them all in here um, if you want to skip forward. Yeah. The young members of the Ant Hill kids were sadly abused sexually, physically and mentally. Rock would ask the kids themselves to assist in this cycle of abuse, asking them to nail their friends to a tree and have others throw rocks at them or even hold them over fires until they promised they would behave. 
Sadly, one of Rock's sons, baby Elazar, died after being hidden outside in a blizzard. Now, it's unclear as to why this happened, but this child was actually reported to authorities as having died, and the coroner ruled the death as sudden infant death syndrome. However, it's believed the mother of the child decided it would be better for her baby to die rather than being brought up within the terrors of the cult. That is awful. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you, you, you know it's awful if somebody decides that that is what they would rather do. It's, yeah, it's, it's really shocking. The, these poor children don't have a say in this. They're born into this. And... it's actually rather courageous for a parent to say you don't deserve this life you don't deserve this torture that this man is inflicting on you so unfortunately the only way for you to escape this hellhole is to die yeah how incredibly heartbreaking to have to make that decision because you know how awful it is that you're just going to have to put your baby outside in the snow ugh there don't like it. Don't like it. Interestingly, after this, in 1987, social services did actually come and take away 17 of the children from the commune. Oh, thank goodness. And authorities did investigate what was happening there. They decided that the remaining children should be removed and subsequent children born into the cult were also removed. But no one was ever arrested or charged for anything untoward and the cult were allowed to just continue on with their business, as I don't think people knew just how bad things had gotten. Well, firstly, I just want to say, well done to the team that got the children out of there, because to get 17 kids and give them a chance, hopefully to get them into a mental state where they are happy and well and safe, and the life that they deserve because no child deserves to be in that situation. I mean, thank goodness that they got out there, but the fact that no formal investigations happened, no arrests were made, nobody went after this fucking bastard rock who who had created all this. You go to the top of the chain, that is everything starts at the top and trickles its way down and yes sometimes in situations the second and third and fourth in command create more havoc than the person at the top but you need to go to the top first and he has caused all this and the fact that we have had several deaths torture and torment i'm getting so angry yeah that these people could have had a chance to get out if he was just stopped yeah, and they're, they're close quarters as well. And we'll find out more as to why that is in a little while. But yeah, they are definitely close quarters. So they're protecting him as well. So the cult is protecting him to make sure that he's not, not arrested for any of this. Ugh. One day, one of Rock's wives, Solange Boylard, came to him complaining of a pain in her abdomen. Rock told her he and God would fix it. Rock, by this point, had become entirely convinced of his magical surgical powers and that along with guidance from God, he would be able to heal her through surgery. This is about to get sore levels of rough, and this is where we get to possibly the worst things I've ever heard in all of my years dealing with this type of thing, so do please be prepared. 
He forced Solange to undress and laid her on the kitchen table and punched her hard in the stomach. He then performed a makeshift enema on her, putting a tube up her rectum and filling it with olive oil and molasses. This, however, obviously didn't work, and she was understandably still feeling terrible. And so he cut her open, moved around her intestines with his bare hands before he ripped a section of them out. He then had another wife, Gabrielle Lavallee, stitch her up, but the torture still wasn't over for poor Solange. As she was passing in and out of consciousness on the table, Rock took another tube and put it down her throat and had another member of the gang blow air into it. Unsurprisingly, Rock's miracle life-saving religious surgery didn't save Solange and sadly she died the next day in excruciating agony as her stomach acid poured into her intestines and destroyed them. But I'm afraid things get even worse from here. Solange was buried on the property, but Rock then claimed he had the power of resurrection. He said if he could put life back inside her, Solange would come back from the dead. So he drilled a hole into her skull and had every male member of the cult ejaculate into it. Solange did not come back to life and was buried a short distance from the commune. Rock continued to perform surgeries on the group, injecting some members with ethanol, performing circumcisions on children and adults, and even played as the group's dentist, pulling teeth for no reason. And all of that was done with no anaesthetic and absolutely no pain relief. (sighs) Where do you go from there, really? Where do you go from there? (laughs) Unfortunately, I feel like there's there's so much more that probably wasn't even brought to life that he was up to and that was gruesome and you're right i've never heard anything quite like it i watched how how do you even dream anything up like that how do you think of doing something like that just the unfortunately when you're submerged into this world and you're starting to believe things that aren't actually reality, then, yeah, it's going to happen. I watched a movie a while back when I was younger. A while back when I was younger. That's not doesn't make sense. I watched a movie when I was a younger teen, and it was this horrible movie about a um, cleaner at Heathrow Airport that got kidnapped and taken to this torture house. And they were this mum and dad and the dad would kidnap, cut people's limbs off and he would do the same. He would uh, put his bodily fluids all over these corpses. And I was just like, in what what minds would you get off on this? Because I just, the, the fact that he thinks that his bodily fluids, I'm trying to think of the correct word without saying, there we say, cum, his cum. Yeah. Where where does he think putting that back into a poor dead person that he has, he has killed at the mercy of his own hands, he has killed this person thinking, I can bring them back to life. Uh, it's, it's, it's too far now. It was far enough yeah. when... 
He was torturing the kids and he was hanging them upside down and plucking the hairs. That was too far. But this is beyond anything that I've ever heard in my entire life. And the fact that this poor woman died at the hands of this man sickens me. And I just, um, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, he's so deranged that he thinks that if he does something like that to her, that he is just, you know, so magical and religious and spiritual and he has this direct line to God and God's going to bring her back just by doing something that is so heinous that just, I don't understand. Just, yeah, it's new realms of vile, which we've not not delved into yet. The worst part is, is that, her pain was probably something that could have been solved so easily through antibiotics or even just simple pain relief. It could have just been like stomach cramps that she just was in so much pain that she just needed some paracetamol or ibuprofen. And he just resorted to, oh yeah, let's cut you open and see what's going on inside. He has no medical history. Nope. No training whatsoever. No. Yep. It took the severe torture and near death of wife Gabrielle Lavallee to bring the horrors of the anthill kids to light. Gabrielle was subject to torture so vile and evil that it's hard to even say out loud. At the hands of rock, she suffered welding torch burns to her genitals had eight of her teeth forcibly removed and a hypodermic needle broken off in her back. Rock was escalating to a huge degree and in one violent episode, he bashed Gabrielle's head in with the blunt side of an axe and cut off part of her breasts. Gabrielle somehow managed to flee the commune looking for help, but having been horrifically mentally and emotionally abused... She couldn't live without the cult, and so she returned. No. I know. It's really sad, isn't it? Yeah, to think that she was so close to being able to escape and then had to go back again. I can't even comprehend what would be running through your head at that point because you've been so controlled by this vile, disgusting man and then you decide that you have to... You've got to go back and you don't know what's going to happen to you next. It's so hard for us to sit here and say, oh, yeah, well, we we wouldn't stay. We wouldn't stay. I've never been in a situation where I've... No, and if it's all you know, which I'm su- yeah. sure she probably joined the cult relatively young, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, And if that's all you've known and you don't have anything else, they'll be monetarily controlled as well by him. They've got no personal identity. She's got no skills apart from obviously the baking that they've learned. But, you know, you can't make tons of money by doing that. And so, yeah, she's completely, she's just, she can't do anything. She's going to have to go back to the cult. Yeah. Upon her return, she went to see Rock in his rickety house where he was already plotting his revenge. He pounced on Gabrielle, cutting off one of her fingers with wire cutters before pinning her hand to a wooden table with a hunting knife. Gabrielle was stuck and with her hand fixed to a table, Rock unbelievably took a cleaver and chopped her arm clean off. 
Incredibly, Gabrielle survived and ran from the commune, going straight to the police with very obvious and horrific evidence of unimaginable abuse. Can you imagine having to run away after having that done to you? And what a sight she must have been as well. That's what I was just thinking. I I often think about the emergency services that have to deal with a lot of things, like when they turn up to ter- terrible car accidents and have to uncover bodies and stuff. Imagine working in that police station and seeing this poor girl with an amputated arm, missing fingers, bits of skin missing, bits of her breast missing. She probably was wearing little to no clothes as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. You can see that people might be frightened of that. There's... um, there's quite a um it's not it's not a famous famous case but there is a, a, a um an attempted murder case where there was a uh, a girl who was um abducted in America and um the guy um cut off her arm um maybe one of her arms maybe both of her arms I can't quite remember um and she climbed back up from um a gully where he'd basically disposed of her body and thought she was going to die and she had to try and get help on the side of the road and she said so many cars drove past her because she just looked like an absolutely horrific sight so I can see here that people would probably be quite scared and probably not want to help because it's it's you know it's not her fault it's not any of their fault um but you know I can imagine how it would be quite scary to see something like that yeah traumatizing because you're just not expecting it you're not expecting it at all are you now the police had long held suspicions over what was going on at burnt river but because the commune was officially registered as a church law enforcement officials were actually unable to investigate the adults they were only legally allowed to rescue the children which is what we were saying before so yeah so they decided to rescue the children which that's because that was the only thing they could do they couldn't do anything about all of this which i find absolutely baffling yeah horrific isn't it i don't think it's the same now at least i really really hope it's not the same now yeah but with gabrielle as physical evidence of the horrors rock had committed finally the police had something to go on they headed down to the commune immediately where they arrested rock for assault rock's arrest instantaneously dissolved the cult hooray thank goodness for that At last, the members that had lived in debilitating fear were free to leave without the horrible repercussions. In 1989, Rock was found guilty for Gabriel's abuse and, in particular, the amputation of her arm and was sentenced to 12 years in prison. No, 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 no. That man should have life plus 90 Most of his followers were now out of the commune, but sadly, some of his wives were still under his spell and stuck by him even whilst he was behind bars. Whilst in prison, he fathered four more children through conjugal visits with his ever... I know, with his ever faithful female members. And why, why is anybody saying that he can have conjugal visits? Why? I'm sorry, the man has committed 
multitude of crimes. He should be in solitary. He should be in the Eastern State Penitentiary. He should be <laughs> in a little solitary room on his own. In the dark room. Yeah, exactly. No visits for you. Rock, you bastard. Yeah, thank you, Nikki. <laughs> The investigation into the cult had exposed the murder of Solange Boylard as well as the wider abuse at Burnt River and at Turtle Mountain. And in 1993, he pled guilty to murder and was sentenced to life in prison. In 2000, he was transferred to Dorchester Penitentiary, a medium security prison, medium security, where he was rejected for parole as luckily the parole board spotted he would definitely just offend again if he was ever let out. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't want to seem happy about this, but a fellow prisoner took matters into his own hands to make sure that Rock would never see the light of day again. As every self-obsessed murderer and cult leader does, Rock still tried to make a name for himself behind bars. In 2009, he tried to start selling his artwork on a US site, whose name we won't mention. No. But basically, it's like a fucked up Etsy for murderers. Oh, what? That's a thing? Yeah, there's the the whole... There's a huge, huge, big... Uh, um, market for people buying things from serial killers and um, yeah, like Enfamira from those kind of people. Yeah, it's it's a huge big thing, huge huge big thing. They sell for thousands. I mean, I I saw on Twitter the other day that somebody was trying to buy Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses. Yeah, and I was like, why the fuck would you want that? Because people love a trophy. That's why. Oh yeah, let's let's never. I want to make a rule. Let's never bring to light anything that is going to give these people glory money or satisfaction those are my rules i do not want these bastards to get anything yep i think that's that's a good thing to do yeah there's um i know you haven't watched dharma yet um and probably for good reason it's not a very joyous series i must say um but there's a whole thing in that where he was making money from donations and selling letters and stuff um from behind bars and yeah some prisoners do do make decent amounts of money i think it's changed now so you can't make money off of that kind of thing yeah um but yeah it, it it definitely has happened in the past and that's not to say that it doesn't still happen because it probably does somewhere most likely yep rock was trying to flog poetry and drawings like many other incarcerated felons have done before but luckily the correctional service of canada put an end to that and stopped anything he'd made leaving the penitentiary walls they weren't going to have him profit from his horrible crimes and one day, a few years ago, in 2011, convicted murderer Matthew Gerard MacDonald sauntered up to the guards on his block in Dorchester Penitentiary, handed them a bloody shiv and said, that piece of shit is down on the range. Here's the knife. I've sliced him up. 63-year-old Rock Terrio had been stabbed to death in the neck by his soulmate. His horrible reign was over. Even though Rock died a nasty death, his followers suffered immeasurably at his own hands. And still to this day, many of them are still suffering the physical and mental effects of their heinous leader. 
Gabrielle, however, went on to write a memoir of her time as one of Rock's wives, which she called L'Alliance de la Brebis, Alliance of the Sheep. And sorry again for my awful, heinous French. We'll go back to school for that one. Okay. And I, for one, will be ordering that book if it's been translated into English, as my French is terrible. (laughs) And that was the horrible tale of Rock Terrio and the anthill kids and fuck me it was horrible i told you it was really really horrible <sighs> yeah but we, did, we made it we made it well done everybody yeah. we're okay we survived it <laughs> if you were still listening thank you for sticking it out um because that was probably the worst thing that i've actually heard in my life yeah i concur it really is not pleasant at all When we decided we were going to cover this one, I always do a little bit of preliminary, just check and see what it is. But I didn't know the extent to the details on this one. Yeah, just a little. Yeah. And so then uh, when I was doing the the research for the case and obviously when I read through the, the lovely script that producer Alex sends over, I read the line and then I thought, what? No, what? That can't be right. And so I read it again and went, no, no, that is right. Oh, dear. And then I double checked it and was like, yeah. Yeah, no, that that is really awful. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's only inevitable with a podcast like ours that it will get to a point where we're not having the giggles, we're not having the lols, we're actually having to delve into some horrific stuff. And I'm sure in later seasons we're gonna we're gonna have this again and we're gonna have to touch on stuff that we don't particularly want to but we're gonna have to because we're we are educating people on stuff that has happened um especially as you say this is one of the cults that doesn't have the spotlight shone on them the whole time and as much as we don't want to we sort of have to because what they did was horrific and we need people we need people to know that it's not okay yeah and i think also as well a lot of cases if it's not english speaking it doesn't get covered um and this is a prime example of that because obviously they're french speaking so it didn't really get the press in in um english speaking yeah um countries because you would you would assume that something that is this absolutely awful if you know this was done by somebody else in england it would have been everywhere but it just didn't get the press at the time yeah well and i think it's an important warning to people as well um you know and also obviously we wanted to talk about it and also to talk about the extent of the abuse as well because it's it's very important for those victims and, um, you know, to sort of share that tale because otherwise it does them a disservice because they went through something absolutely horrific. Yeah. And that story needs to be told. And yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it's sickening. I think also we also need to bring to light that in any abusive situation, there are people there to help you. There is a life beyond this bubble that you are living in. You do not have to put up with this. And no matter if you think you've got nothing, you've got no personal belongings or anything, you can create a life for yourself again and you can start fresh. And there are so many charities, so many organisations that are there to help and support you rebuilding your life. So don't think you're alone. Nobody is alone in this life. So always remember that. And we will pop all of those in the resources for you as well.
So we just have to say the knowledge out there on this topic is vast and much more than we can fit in one episode. So please check our sources if you want to find out more. Yes, and as Nikki just said, if you have been affected by this very interesting episode, then please check the description below of this episode for all the helpful resources and information. Next time on Killers, Cults and Queens, we're heading into the spookiest side of life and learn all about the ghosts. The goose? The goose! The mother gooses! <laughs> suddenly I'm Augustus Gloop. <laughs> we are learning all about the ghosts and the ghouls of the Winchester Mystery House. This one is an absolute spooky classic and I cannot wait to share it with you. Get your spirit boxes at the ready! I've got the Ouija board, Nikki. Subscribe or follow to make sure that you never miss the next episode of Killers, Cults and Queens. And if you have a case or a story you'd like us to explore, then give us a DM at Killers, Cults, Queens. See you next time and don't be a killer. And um, I'm not even going to say or join a cult today because I just feel like we've learnt the lesson now. Let's definitely not do that, eh? Let's all just stick together and be queens. Goodbye. (laughs) 